Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Uh, if you saw this black book at the end of your aisle and you didn't know what to do with it, uh, we would encourage you to fill that out uh, so we can make contact with you. We won't be weird about it or anything. We won't hunt you down. Um, but we, um, we do like to connect with everybody that, that attends here. Also, if you're a man, uh, we, had a, we had a men's training event here yesterday called No Man Left Behind, and it was some tremendous practical stuff. Uh, all about making disciples among men and uh, helping men to really be God's men and uh, the process of doing that. One of the things that we've got that's just for men, men 13 years old and older, and if you are a man, you need to do this. I want to challenge you to do this, to go to the... Iron Sharpens Iron National Men's Conference uh, down in Champaign on September the 25th. Now, I know that some of you may have school conflicts and other things going on and can't make that happen, but there are a total of eight workshop sessions in the morning and eight different choices in the afternoon that you can go to, plus some, uh, some main sessions that are tremendous. Uh, I have been, I took both of my sons last year, um, and, um, I didn't take Nathan, oh, Nathan's Nathan. I, oh, I didn't take John, but I took you. All right. Well, um, in any case, uh, they kind of catch me lying up here. Um, but in any case, we are, um, they're going to set me straight. You know, the first thing that goes when you get old is your memory. Um, but in any case, uh, it is a tremendous good time. And it is a uh, it is a a an event where you can learn about what it means to walk with God as a man and to fulfill your calling as a man before the Lord. And uh, if you're interested in that, I encourage you to sign up. If you look at the cost and you go forty seven dollars, ah, I don't have forty I don't have forty seven nickels to rub together. Um, that's fine. See me. We will we will cover your fee to go. If you are wanting to go and then the money is the only obstacle, that's not an obstacle. We'll cover you, um, but we want you to go. And it'd be a good thing, and you'll enjoy it and be encouraged by it. And you'll get to spend some time fellowshipping with the other guys that are part of the church here who are already signed up and going. Now, with that in mind, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are a God of indescribable love, of such surpassing grace that you reach to the lowest sinner, that there is no one who is too sinful for your grace to save. And there is no sin too great that cannot be forgiven by Christ at the cross. And Father, we thank you that you have reached into our lives by your Holy Spirit and saved us and brought us into your family that we might worship you and enjoy you forever. Father, I pray that today would be a day when we, we look at uh, your holiness and the holiness that you, as part of our relationship with you, expect of us, that we would not lose sight of your love for us as the motivating factor behind it all. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week in our study through Ephesians, we came to the end of chapter 3, and you have this magnificent prayer uh, 
that Paul takes us through that is the pinnacle of all of his theology in the first three chapters of the book that are all about God's incomprehensible and unsurpassable love for us. And we saw that God's love for us produces love uh, from us to him. And that love from us results in holiness because of our response to God's love for us. Amen? Uh, that love from God produces love for God that results in holiness. Our holiness is ultimately the result of our relationship of love between us and God. It's not an issue of, of self-discipline merely. It's a, it's a response of love to God's love displayed to you and to me. And today we want to turn from that discussion and see how these great truths that we looked at last week are meant to be lived out in relationships with other people. It might surprise you to know this, but biblical holiness is not the ability to purge sin from your life when you live entirely by yourself on some desert island somewhere, off in a monastery or out in the woods like a hermit, uh, because it's actually fairly easy to avoid most kinds of sin if you don't interact with any other humans. Did you know that? Did my mic just die? Okay. Um, it's fairly easy to avoid a lot of sin if you just avoid every other interaction with every other human, right? I'm never tempted to get angry. I'm never tempted to cuss. I'm never tempted to fornicate or do anything else, right? As long as I just live in complete isolation from everyone else. But that is not the kind of life of holiness to which God calls us. The kind of life that God calls us to is a life of intense relationship with other people and demonstrating to them the love of God that he has demonstrated first to us. And that works itself out always in relationship. And how you treat other people is fundamentally entwined with uh, your relationship with God. As your love relationship with God grows and deepens, so also your relationships with other people reflect that. Amen? And there's no getting away from this. If, even in your Old Testament, remember the Ten Commandments? First four have to do with what? Your relationship with God. Last six have to do with your relationship with other people. First half of this book of Ephesians has to do with your love for God and His love for you. The last half has to do with your relationship with other people. How your relationship with God, in other words, plays itself out. Uh, and what this is, is, holiness is love with tennis shoes on. Okay? And that's what it is. It is how you live your life out there on 29, outside this building, as you interact inside this building with other people in the church, believe it or not. As you interact in your car to and from church with members of your family. Maybe you all ever had a fight on the way to church and then pulled into the parking lot and you're like, all right, everybody got to behave now. Right? I know I'm not the only one that does that. Right? We've had that, right? 
been in the middle of a lecture about something, and then we like get to church and we pretend that everything's fine, right? And we're going to go in and worship God now, right? But the reality is, is that we've got to be able to connect the two of these things. God's love for us and our love for him reflected in how we love and relate to other people. And so, and a reason I keep emphasizing this is this, is that oftentimes people want to disconnect this half of the book and this half of the book as if they're separate things. But one is intimately tied with, intertwined with the other. Love for God and love for people uh, reflected in holiness in your relationship with them are fundamental to the faith. So we want to look at the scripture here. We're moving into chapter four. We're in our race through Ephesians. Um, you can laugh. Okay. Um, but we want to look at chapter four, verses one to six. We're not racing, I know. But if you would stand as I read, if you're able, uh, we're going to look at the first six verses of Ephesians chapter four. Let's see here. I'm in Galatians. How did I wind up there? All right, Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you and your love for us might be over all and through all and in all, present in our lives. That as we work out our faith, empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we would reflect your love for us and how we treat each other. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, verse 1, if you look at it, begins with two reminders. One reminder is that Paul is a prisoner of the Lord, by which Paul means that he is in prison because of the gospel that he proclaims uh, as, as, about the Lord Jesus. And in fact, he is in prison because of a member of the Ephesian church. If you read the book of Acts, what you find out there is that Paul, when he goes to Jerusalem, takes with him a man named Trophimus, who is an Ephesian, a Gentile. And he takes him with him to the city, and he's going there to pay some vows of uh, some Jewish brothers. And the idea of going up to the temple to pay these vows is to show that he's not someone who disrespects the temple of God or the law. And he goes and he pays these vows and he's present in the temple. And it's, it's oh, isn't this a wonderful thing? But people have been watching and they have seen that he came into town with this Ephesian guy and they start a rumor that Paul has taken a Gentile into the sacred precincts of the temple. And therefore, he is a defiler of the temple and he needs to be put to death. And so he gets arrested. He gets thrown in prison. He spends years of his life in prison because of the gospel that he proclaims that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is open to both Jews and Gentiles. And so he says, I'm a prisoner 
of the Lord. That's his first reminder. The second reminder is found in that little word, therefore. And as I've said many times, when you see the word, therefore, you need to see what it is therefore. Right. And that's, that's, that's a dad joke, I know. But here's the deal. That is an important conclusion because it's a word that is drawing a conclusion that's there for you to draw a conclusion from the previous section. And what's the conclusion based on that we're about to draw? It's based on the incomprehensible love of God for you and me. And the conclusion that he wants us to draw is to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. What does that mean? Our calling is a reference to the fact that God in His love called you and I out of darkness, out of slavery to sin, and into a new relationship with Him. Amen? That you have been called by the Holy Spirit into that relationship. You've been invited into it. And so therefore, to walk worthy of your calling then means to live in light of or in a way that reflects your loving relationship with the triune God who saved you. To walk worthy of your calling is to, is to walk, to live out your life conscious of the fact that there is a God who loves you and with whom you are in a loving relationship. To put it bluntly, if the God of incomprehensible love saved you, then act like it. That kind of love is meant to have a transformative effect. Amen? It ought to show up in how we treat one another. In fact, verses 2 and 3 reveal four distinct aspects of that transformation, if you look at it, four distinct ways that we are called to walk worthy of our calling to salvation by our loving God. And the first one is humility. You see that? Humility is the God-honoring spirit of thinking of yourself less. Now notice I did not say thinking less of yourself, right? The inability to receive a compliment is not what we're talking about here. You know, oh, it's nothing. Oh, yeah. You know, just say thank you and move on. That's not humility. Okay. Humility is the idea of thinking of yourself less, of not having to always be the person who is at the forefront of your thinking. That you are not constantly, as the expression goes, looking out for number one. That you are looking, as the scripture says, not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of other people. That you are not the first priority in your own mind. Humility of, of the, is the attitude of those who lead, but uh, don't have to be in charge to be happy. It's the attitude of those who can joyfully serve recognizing that those who serve are the greatest in the kingdom of God and most like Jesus, the servant who gives his or her life as a blessing to other people. Second thing here that you see in your Bible is the word gentleness. Now in our culture, we tend to think of people who are gentle as being weak. But gentleness is not weakness. It's love demonstrated in careful 
treatment of other people, recognizing that they are just as fragile as you are. We like to give the illusion that we're tough, right? And that nothing somebody says or does to us ever hurts us. But that is not true. We are much more fragile than we'd like to admit. And gentleness governs our tongues and our bodies and our thoughts and our attitudes toward one another so that people both feel safe and are safe in our presence. That we're not prickly, in other words. That we are someone who is safe to be with. We're gentle. Third characteristic of walking worthy of your calling is patience. Do you see that? Paul explains it further. He, he uses this, this phrase, uh, bearing with one another. Patience is what you call it when grace and mercy take on life and walk around in your life. We don't give back to people the treatment that they deserve. That's patience. We respond with grace and mercy instead, treating them as we would like to be treated, and in a sense, forgiving them before they even know to ask for it because we understand that we're each on a journey toward maturity in Christ and we're not quite there yet, neither one of us. And so we're patient. We bear with one another. Patience is the attitude that doesn't easily get its nose out of joint. You know what I'm saying? Recognizes that people still need to grow in Christ's likeness and therefore puts up with small annoyances and quirks and idiosyncrasies and even the people that we think of as hard to love, we treat with kindness and respect. We bear with one another. And finally, we see this last aspect of walking worthy of our calling down in verse verse 3. Do you see it there? It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to key in on two aspects of that. First is the idea of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, We are not, any of us, exactly alike. Amen? Some of us are taller. Some of us are shorter, some of us are older, some of us are younger, some of us are hairier, some of us wish we were hairier, Um, some of us us have gray hair, some of us have hair that that is gray but we dye it, Uh, some of us have have, uh, all of our hair, some of us don't have it, you know, Uh, some of us are muscular, some of us are other than muscular. Uh, Some of us are musical. Some of us are other than musical. Some of us can draw. Uh, The rest of us do stick figures. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of different diversity that we have among us, right? Some of us are rich. Some of us are poor. Some of us work work with our hands. Some of us work at at a keyboard. We have all kinds of differences. 
but we all share one very important reality in common. And the reality that we have in common is the one Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And he is welding us together, if you will, as part of one church. And we have wildly different backgrounds and, and personalities and gifts and abilities and, and shapes and sizes and everything else. But we are all unified together in one church because we are all tied together in a relationship of unity by the one Holy Spirit. But maintaining that unity is not easy. Amen? As the great prophet Bono said, the easiest thing in the world is for a band to break up. All right? That's true. It's like resisting gravity. The easiest thing in the world is to cut off relationships with people, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get frustrated with them, we get upset with them, and then we just are like, I'm just done with them. Right? Some Christians are not eager to maintain the unity of the body, but that is the second part of this, that Christians need to treat the unity of the body as if it were an important and a necessary thing, because it is. It's an aspect of holiness. It's an aspect of walking worthy of our calling as believers in Jesus Christ, who are united in one body by the one Holy Spirit who gives peace to all who come to God. Effort has to be applied. Uh, how do we apply that effort? Well, first of all, I think it's by our attitude. Do you see that word eager? It's a word that implies that we have an expectation that unity is valuable and we attach great value to it. And second, we maintain unity by faithfulness to what the Scripture actually teaches, both doctrinally and practically. We break unity when we start embracing beliefs contrary to clear biblical teaching. And we break unity when we refuse to repent of sin, when we refuse to grow in practicing other virtues that we've looked at in this passage, it's an active thing to pursue unity in the church. It's something that we have to strive to maintain. And eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace means we cling tightly to the Spirit. And then we strive to live peacefully with one another in a spirit of repentance, and of forgiveness, and of humility, and of patience, and gentleness with each other. Amen? You know what happens when we don't do these things? We become an embarrassing spectacle to the non-Christian world, and we discredit the gospel we proclaim. That's what happens. Let me give you an example. One of my uh, former professors, Dr. Dwight Pentecost of Dallas Theological Seminary, who is now with the Lord, he taught, he taught classes um, 
Dr. P, what we all called him, taught classes for more than 50 years. Taught thousands of seminarians. And this is what he would do when he would, when he would uh, teach class. He would show up with his Bible and he'd be like, open to, and then he would just start going. And he had most of the Bible memorized. And he could just, you could start him off in a passage and he would tell you everything before and after. It was amazing. He was the most incredible uh, Bible-soaked guy in the world. And he uh, talked to, told a story about a church that he knew of that had a church split. And this was the deal. It got really bad. Where factions formed and the groups began to sue one another in civil court outside of their denominational uh, structure, and they went to they went to district court, and the judge threw it out on First Amendment grounds, and said, "Look, uh, the state cannot interfere with the operations of the church here, and you all need to work it out because we're out. We are we have no power over the church, and uh, and it's on you. You go find a church court to solve this." And then, so they finally went to their denomination and they said, well, we need somebody to come in here and resolve this. And so what they did was they brought in people and they investigated everything. And they finally awarded the church building and, and, and a portion of the assets to one group and they order, uh, handed the rest of the assets to another group. And the other group that didn't wind up to the building went and built another building in a different church and gave it a new name down the street. And when they finally concluded all of the investigation, you know what they found out the source that originally started the conflict was? At a church potluck, one of the church elders received a smaller slice of ham than the child in front of him in line. And he felt dishonored. And this whole conflagration that blew up in front of not only their community, but even unto district court was over that issue Everett. it was an embarrassment we are called men and women to salvation by an unsurpassably loving forgiving gentle humble peace loving God amen and therefore, our relationships must reflect that reality in our humility, our gentleness, our patience, our eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen? And I want to look at verses 4 through 6 with you. Uh, verses 4 through 6, this passage is structured a little bit differently than I would have written it had I written the Word of God. Um, but uh, I would have given verse four through six first, and then and then the verses one through three. Uh, but verses four through six, since God didn't ask my opinion and still doesn't about anything, um, that what we find here is the the ground and the foundation for what He's already told us, and He's going to lay that out. Um, uh, verses four through six. Therefore, there is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, I've been alluding to these things throughout this message that they point out that the loving triune God whose image our relationships are meant to reflect is God himself. We're meant to reflect the triune being who saved us. And that triune being, as Josh has been highlighting for us, is a loving unity of three distinct persons. When you and I become Christians, there is a sense in which God brings us into, in fact, His divine unity. Do you know that? That before there was time, before there was creation, there existed a loving God. How can that be? Because the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son, and the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father, and that has been reality since eternity past. And so Christians can rightly speak and say God is love. Not that He expresses love, but that He is love. He exists as a being of love within Himself before there's a creation. And that being, when we are saved, brings us into that triune relationship as if we become part of God's own unity, own relationship of love. We get connected into Him. It's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing. We are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then we become part of the one body of Christ as we maintain our uniqueness as his people. And what, that's what Paul is talking about in verse 4 when he speaks about one spirit and one body. That, when, that you come to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that the one spirit makes you part of one body, the body of Christ, the church. And you have one hope of your calling. Again, verse 4. Which is the eternal and loving union of you and God face to face. Did you know that? That one day you will be united with God in relationship face to face with Him. That you will be part of the bride of Christ. You will stand face to face with God in permanent relational union with Him for eternity. It's an incredible reality. And that is our hope, our one hope. The fulfillment of all of God's promises that will be with Him forever. Verse 5 reminds us of more that already unites us. Do you see it? We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We all serve and belong to one Lord. Who is it? One Lord, Jesus Christ. We have one faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, who died for sins and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And that one faith that gives life to people, and it is the gospel message. And we have one baptism into Christ. It's the Spirit who does the work of spirit baptism by which we are made members of Christ's body, but it is baptism into unity with our Lord, Jesus Christ, into, as a member of the one body, the church. And we're going to have a, a water baptism here later, but 
But what that is about is reflecting on the outside what has happened on the inside to the person. That as they put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they are dead and they're put to death with their sin and they're raised to new life in Christ as a member of the body of Jesus Christ who has by His Holy Spirit been united to them. It's an incredible reality. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And finally, verse 6 reminds us we have one Father. Do you see this? The Spirit, the Son. Now we're on to the Father. And just as verse 4 speaks of the work of the Spirit, verse 5 speaks of the work of the one Lord Jesus Christ, verse 6 speaks to us of the fact that we have one God and one Father. The Father rules over all things, and He works through all of us and is in all of us by the Holy Spirit. What unites us all together, in other words, is nothing less than the union with the insurpassably loving God who saved each one of us. And also all of us. Not just each one of us, but all of us. What unites us all together is the fact that we have one Father who has, through the one Son, brought salvation uh, to every single person who has put their faith in Him and who brings us into relationship with Him by the one Spirit through faith in the one Son who died. And these truths point us to some real and deep application. Because here's the reality. Our relationships with each other either magnify God's glory or they lie about what kind of God God is. What story do your relationships with other people tell? Do they reflect the fact that you belong to an unsurpassably loving God? who has done everything possible in his triune being to bring you into a relationship with him? Do they tell a story about a God of indescribable and limitless love who eternally exists as a loving unity and brought sinful human beings into his unity as his children? Does the way that your saved self relates to other people proclaim the gospel to them and reveal that you have become part of Christ's body through the Holy Spirit's power by the will of the Father? Or do your relationships tell a different story? A false one. About, the, about God and the kind of people who reflect His presence in their lives. If you're arrogant or harsh or impatient or eagerly breaking relationships, repent. Repent as you recognize that God's love calls you as part of your calling to do the opposite to something higher to which you need to walk worthy in loving response to God's love for you. Let me give you something else to just ponder too. Maybe you're not harsh with people. 
Maybe you're not arrogant or impatient or eager to break unity. Your struggle is more like this. You treat church like a ride on an elevator. You been in the elevator? What do you do? You show up at the place. You go in through the doors. You, you step in. You communicate as little as possible what you need. And then the doors close, you turn around, and you talk to no one. And when you arrive at the end of the ride, you get off, and you also carry on no relationship with anyone else you were just with in close proximity. Some people treat church just exactly like that. They go in, they go to where they want, they communicate, as little as possible, establish as little relationship as possible, and when the ride is over, they go out. Unchanged and unconnected to anyone else. They were just in close proximity with. God calls us to engage, to love each other well as members of his family. Amen? who reflect in our relationships the fact that we have been saved by an all-loving, triune God. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, this is a challenging passage. This is a passage which confronts us right where we live with the reality that we are not always patient, we're not always gentle, we're not always humble, we're not even that eager necessarily to maintain the unity of the body through the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Father, we can forget that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. We can forget all of these things easily. And just react in our sinfulness or in our selfish desire not to connect with anyone else, not to have anyone mess up my life or bother me. Father, if that is the condition of our hearts today, we repent before you. And we ask for your grace. We ask for your, your mercy to extend even more than it already has to us, that you would forgive us and that by your Holy Spirit you would fill us again with new passion to reflect in our relationships with each other the love that you have displayed so abundantly to us. Father, may we be the most loving people around. May it be said of us as was said of the early church, see how they love one another that the gospel might have credibility in our generation, that people would know us not for our stances on various issues, but that they would know us as gospel people who have been transformed by the love of God and who can't wait to tell them about the joy and harmony and peace and joy they found. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.